learn from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text this day will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Mark. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we are here this morning to hear your word. And we ask you, Father, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, give us repentance and faith, and teach us to trust in your Son, Jesus, all the days of our lives. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. I don't know if we've done this in a while, so let's see if we're doing well here. On the count of three, I want you to tell me what is the greatest Disney movie of all time, okay? Count of three. One, two, three. Santa. Right, Robin Hood. Robin Hood is the best Disney movie of all time. You know the one I'm talking about, right? With the cartoon fox and who plays Robin Hood and then uh, the big bear who plays little John. And it is a wonderful movie. It is a lot of fun. The music is great. Uh, the characters are funny. It's a wonderful movie. But there's a particular scene from that movie that I want you to have in the back of your mind today as we get into this passage from the Gospel of Mark. And it's a scene kind of towards the end. If you haven't seen it, I'm about to spoil it for you, but it, you'll still love it anyway. Uh, and towards the end of this movie, uh, there's a scene where all the townspeople have been thrown into prison. The evil prince John has raised taxes. In fact, he's tripled taxes. And he has said, if anybody cannot pay this, they must go to jail. So guess what? Everybody has to go to jail. And they're all sitting in prison and everybody's awaiting this terrible tragedy that is about to take place. Uh, they are going to have to kill uh, Friar Tuck. So it's a very sad and bleak scene, and there's a rooster there, and he's playing this song, Not in Nottingham, and it's very depressing, and it's very sad, until little John and Robin Hood show up. And little John finds a way to get into the prison, and he, he releases Friar Tuck, and then he and Friar Tuck, they begin to release all the prisoners, and everybody starts escaping from the jail. In the meantime, uh, Robin Hood is climbing up into Prince John's room and he's taking away all of his money. He's sneaking out all the money that Prince John has stolen from the people so the people can have their money back. And everything is going according to plan uh, until Robin Hood gets caught and Prince John sees him and he sounds the alarms and suddenly everybody's chasing a prince, or everyone's chasing Robin Hood they're shooting arrows at him and suddenly everything catches on fire and the castle begins to burn down and Robin Hood has to climb to the highest tower in the whole place hoping to escape surrounded by fire arrows flying at him the only hope he has is to jump into the moat and swim away and so Robin Hood leaps from the tower and he falls into the moat arrows flying down and it looks as though that's it for old Robin Hood. It looks as if he's dead. It's a very sad and intense scene where it seems as though Robin Hood has died until he comes up out of the water. And what does he do when he comes up out of the water? He laughs and he sings and he mocks Prince John as Prince John cries and his castle and his kingdom and his evil reign come burning to the ground. That is a good movie. That's all I want to talk about this morning. I hope you guys go check that thing out. No. But I want that picture in the back of your mind today as we come to this reading from the gospel. Because in our gospel reading today, Jesus does something very similar to that Robin Hood. He describes Jesus, describes himself in a parable, saying that he, of all people, is like a thief. Jesus, the great thief. 
And he comes into a strong man's house and he binds the strong man and he plunders everything the strong man has. Well, now, this is a strange picture of our Lord, isn't it? Until you realize the strong man, the Prince John, is the devil, right? And Jesus comes in and he binds the devil and he plunders everything that the devil has taken. And you know what that plunder is? It's you. And it's me. Jesus has come to rescue us from the clutches of Satan. He has come to set us free from the prison that Satan has placed us in. The Lord Jesus, in a sense, has stolen you back. As Robin Hood stole from Prince John, Jesus has stolen you back and made you his own. He has rescued you and redeemed you from the devil. And it looks as though he might lose as he dies on the cross, only to rise again three days later singing victory songs and mocking and laughing at the devil as the devil's kingdom goes burning to the ground. Jesus has taken us to be his own, and we belong to him. Satan's prison could not hold us. Satan is a defeated foe. This is the gospel. This is a beautiful parable that Jesus has for us today. We have to understand something as we hear this parable and we examine this text from the gospel of Mark today. The kingdom of darkness does not take such thievery lying down. Now, Satan knows that the coming of Christ is his defeat. He knows that the cross and the resurrection have defeated him and have sealed his fate. Satan knows that when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, Satan will be bound to the lowest circle of hell for all of eternity, and he will suffer more than anyone. Satan knows this. So now, like a caged animal, he fights and he snarls and he barks and he yells and he does anything he can to intimidate his former prisoners and distract them from their Savior. He cannot win, but that's not going to stop him from trying. And that's not going to stop him from attacking. Now, the primary way Jesus deals with us in our world right now is through his word. It's through the promises, the proclamation of his law and his gospel. And so the way the devil is going to attack is he's going to seek to undermine the preaching of Jesus. He's going to seek to undermine the message and the work of Christ. He is going to slander Jesus. He is going to attack Jesus. He's going to try and stop Jesus from delivering his message of salvation to you. He wants to distract you from the kingdom. So he does this thing that we call blasphemy. He commits blasphemy. And blasphemy is just what I described. It is is slander, a slanderous word spoken against somebody. And, And as we come to our gospel reading today, we find two ways in which the devil tries to blaspheme Christ, tries to undermine Christ and slander him. The first place we see him doing this in the gospel today comes from a sort of expected place. It's from Jesus' enemies. Satan is at work with the religious leaders, you might say, the scribes who come to all-out attack Jesus. So the first blasphemy is an all-out, full-frontal attack on Jesus Christ. We see this from the scribes. Now, the, the, the scribes are a group of religious people who have come down from Jerusalem because they've heard what Jesus is teaching and they've heard he's performing miracles. And so they are simply on a mission to belittle him to undermine him. And in fact, they do this in a really kind of ironic way. Uh, They do this by saying that Jesus is in league with Satan. They say he casts out demons by the power of Satan. 
He is working for the devil. He is full of the devil. They charge Jesus with the accusation of being Satan himself. They're calling the works of the Holy Spirit, the good things that the Spirit of God is doing in this world, they call them evil and satanic. And Jesus said, to rebut this, that Satan can't fight against himself and expect his kingdom to stand. This is nonsense. And if you're going to say, Jesus says, that the work of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit is evil and satanic, you are committing what Jesus calls the unforgivable sin. The eternal sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now every time this verse comes up and, and we hear this word, the unforgivable sin, many people start to get nervous and they start to, to shift in their seats a little bit uh, because they're worried. What if I've done that? What if I've crossed that line? What if I have blasphemed Christ in such a way that I have sinned against the Holy Spirit and can no longer be forgiven? What if I have done that? And people get nervous. Maybe they have committed the against the Holy Spirit. Maybe they have blasphemed in such a way. Well, let me just say this to you this morning. If you're nervous about that, if you're one of those people who is worried that maybe you've committed that sin, that's just evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and that he's working on your heart. And the Lord Jesus has a message for you this morning. You have not moved beyond his forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is not too late for you. You belong to Christ. And whatever blasphemies you've uttered in the past are not held against you any longer. You need to understand what it means to commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit before we get any more nervous. To get blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to be like these scribes who call Jesus evil. It's, it's to worship something else in the place of Christ and tell others they should do it too. It's to be an atheist philosopher who mocks belief in Jesus and mocks the idea of the resurrection of Christ. It's to deny that Jesus is God. It is to deny that Jesus' bloody cross is enough to forgive all of our sins and his resurrection is enough to save us. It is to proudly and boldly undermine and attack Jesus Christ. And if you are here this morning and you are actively and passionately engaged in that sort of thing, you should know that in this moment you are committing that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to come forward and receive the sacrament today, you will do so to your doom. But I'm guessing, by virtue of the fact that you are even here this morning, you are not that vocal attacker of Christ. That doesn't mean that this sort of thing isn't happening in the world. And that it is very dangerous and very persuasive and pervasive. It's everywhere. From the atheistic, anti-Christian books we find in our bookstores to the characters we see on television that depict Christ and his church as nothing but sort of fundamentalistic uh, imbeciles who have no brains of their own. The anti-Christ scribes are relentless and they are everywhere and they are constantly attacking Christ. So that's one way the devil does it, full frontal attack on the church and on Jesus. But the second way we see Satan trying to distract us from Jesus this morning is a little more subtle, and actually it comes from the most surprising and shocking of places. It's, it's never surprising for us when the religious leaders are mad with Jesus in the Gospels. They're always mad with Jesus in the Gospels. But what's surprising to us today is when we hear this particular passage from Mark that tells us Jesus' family came out 
and tried to silence him. His own family tried to stop him from continuing his ministry. Now, of course, they didn't do it in the same way. They weren't attacking Jesus. They did it from a position of saying, well, we're worried about him. We think he's lost his mind. Jesus has gone crazy. And so when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, the gospel says. For they said, he is out of his mind. He keeps preaching like this. Good heavens, he's going to get himself killed. Perhaps even crucified. And so they go, and they don't attack Jesus. They simply go to settle him down. They simply go to bring him inside and temper his message just a little bit. And it looks like they're doing it out of love, and it looks like they're doing it out of concern. But what they are doing is undermining the ministry of Jesus Christ. And though it looks a lot nicer, the end game is no different than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're all trying to silence Christ. But we see this everywhere today. And what worries me is that this sort of attitude seems to come up from within the church. When Jesus' message is just a little too offensive for our culture, when Jesus' message seems to be too ostracizing or not tolerant enough, the church in our day and age seems to say, well, listen, we don't have to like, give them all of Jesus. Let's just sort of take off the harsh edges. Let's settle him down. Let's bring him inside and cool him off. And, and then maybe when people start to come into the church, then we can really tell them about Jesus, you know? We'll hide all the harsh stuff. We don't want people to feel bad or guilty. I mean, you listen to the way Jesus talks, it almost sounds like he believes he's the only way to heaven, and he's the only one who's right about God. Good heavens, how intolerant. We don't want to go there. I mean, I bet if we tempered his message just a little bit, we stopped talking so much about bloody crosses and forgiveness of sins and emphasizing the danger of sin and all of this, I bet we'd even get more followers of Jesus. So let's just temper the message. And let's just settle them down. Let's just bring him inside, because good heavens, if we preach that stuff, we've got to be out of our mind. We don't want to offend or upset anybody with what Jesus has to say, after all. And so this goes on, and sometimes the church capitulates to this sort of thing. We bring Jesus inside, we settle him down. But that's exactly, you see, what the devil wants. The devil wants us to have a settled-down Jesus. The devil wants us not to have a Jesus uh, who gives us the entirety of God's law, the entirety of God's will to condemn us in our sins, and the entirety of the gospel to forgive us and raise us to a new life. Just think about how the devil will do this in your own conscience. The devil will always try and settle down the gospel of Jesus in your own conscience. Because there are those times in our lives where we might be sinning, and the law comes in and it attacks that sin. And we try and say, oh yeah, but Jesus doesn't mean that. He's not really against the sin I'm committing, right? We try and save ourselves and stay in our sin. But Jesus will have none of it. The devil tries to silence that law in our conscience. and tries to make us to be people who do not repent. But perhaps worse, when we have this going on very often in our conscience, when we have committed a bad sin, when we have done something wrong, Perhaps you're caught up in some sort of habitual sin and you've repented and you've worked against it and you've tried to stop it again and again and again. You keep finding yourself falling back into that sin and you worry, maybe this sin was too much. Maybe this sin was the one that broke the gospel's back. Maybe this time Jesus won't welcome me back in. And when that comes up in our conscience, the devil is always there. And he's there to say, you are right. What would Jesus ever have to do with a sinner like you? 
Why would Jesus ever welcome someone like you into his kingdom? Jesus will never love you after that one, after all he's done for you, after all he's given you. And you go off and sin like that? Oh, you've got to be out of your mind to think Jesus would love someone like you. You've got to be out of your mind to think that Jesus forgives you. So the devil would try and take Jesus inside and prevent his forgiveness of getting at us. But here's the deal. When the devil comes into your conscience in that way, and, and he begins to undermine the grace of Jesus, here's what you say. When the devil says to you, you must be out of your mind to think Jesus forgives you, the response is simply this. Devil, you're right. I am out of my mind. I am absolutely out of my mind, and I am safe and secure in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ. Uh, to do what Jesus' family was doing, to try and temper the radical work of Jesus, to stop him from preaching, to stop him from healing, to stop him from dying and rising and forgiving. This is exactly what Satan wants. To stop that word of forgiveness from reigning in our consciences and over our lives. That is exactly what Satan wants. And he is not silent. And he continues to wage war on Christ and the church. Seeking to draw us away from Christ. And to come back into that, that burning building that's being destroyed of his kingdom. So the word for you and I today from the Lord is simply this. The devil attacks. Fear not, little flock, for it is the God's good pleasure to give you the king. All of these blasphemies that are uttered by Satan are nothing more than Prince John crying out from a burning building. He can do nothing to harm. For Christ has taken you from the grip of Satan. Christ has stolen you from Satan's house, and he does not plan on giving you back. To use another metaphor that Jesus has in our, in our text today. Christ has stolen you, he has redeemed you, or better, he has adopted you into his kingdom. And as Jesus comes and, and he looks upon us here in this room today, as the text says, Jesus looked at those sitting around him, and he says to you this morning, oh, you don't belong to Satan and his accusations, because you're my family. Here, here are my mother and my brother. Whoever does God's will, that is, whoever believes in Christ, is my brother and sister and mother. You are his family. He chose you to be his own when he baptized you and ripped you out of Satan's snarling jaws and slammed that wicked serpent's mouth shut. Satan can no longer devour you. He cannot open his mouth to accuse you before God. He cannot harm you because you belong to Christ Jesus. And you are safe and secure in his family. And no matter what he might do against you, nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus your Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the forgiveness and righteousness and salvation that you have bestowed upon us when you rescued us from Satan and brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Grant us peace, Lord, as the devil rails against us. Give us discerning hearts so that we might know your truth and teach us to trust in you all the days of our life. We ask this for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.